research that changes lives. Four simple words inspiring researchers at the University of Leeds to reshape the world. I am Professor Simone Boutenay. Since arriving at the university in 2020 as Vice-Chancellor, I've been amazed by the passion, creativity and ingenuity of the research community to make a difference. Having the opportunity to exercise choice is really you know, key to palliative care and that individualised care that supports the person in the last few months of life. We need to learn from the mistakes that we've made and we need to learn from the instances where prevention of atrocities work. I think the COVID-19 pandemic actually forced us to become a little bit more digitally literate, although I do think we still have some room to kind of continue growing. One of my priorities has been to learn more about the sheer range of research carried out by early career researchers at Leeds. They are the new generation of world changers, people working tirelessly with communities and academics around the world on finding solutions to seemingly intractable problems. Over the course of this podcast series, I will be in conversation with those researchers. Join me as our world changers describe new discoveries and approaches that will make the world a better and more equitable place to live. It's about research that changes lives. Welcome to this latest World Changers podcast. In this edition, we will be exploring ways artists with learning disabilities can be brought into the mainstream arts world. The last two decades have seen a growth in inclusive arts practice. Last year, a collective of learning disabled and neurodivergent artists were nominated for the Turner Prize. Despite that notable achievement, many learning disabled artists still experience barriers and inequalities. Joining me to explore this topic is Dr. Jade French, lecturer from the School of Fine Art, History of Art and Cultural Studies at Leeds. Jade is a world changer who's leading research around the development of what she describes as an irregular art school at the university. The aim of the research is to identify ways of supporting the professional development of learning disabled artists and to help them get established. Jade, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Hi, thank you so much. Hi, thanks for being here. Maybe I can start by asking you about the, the definition of inclusive art practice. Can you describe what it is and, and how it's done? Yeah, of course. So interestingly, there's little kind of consolidated knowledge about when and how inclusive arts practice came around. But essentially, inclusive arts practice is a term used to describe the artwork and you know, creative practice of learning disabled artists. And that has increasingly been taking place, particularly in the visual and performing arts. But crucially, this practice happens with the support of professional facilitators. So typically, this means that artists without learning disabilities support learning disabled artists to create their work. And what that support and collaboration looks like can you know vary enormously. Can you describe for me the kind of issues or, or maybe even stigma probably that learning disabled artists may face and, and how that could be in the way of getting their work recognized? Sure. So learning disabled artists continue to face uh, a range of kind of obstacles and inequalities. 
So just to give a few quick examples, learned disabled artists often require the buy-in and support of various arts and care professionals. And this support can be challenging to put into place and maintain. And it also kind of requires that the people supporting them see the value of their art in the first place. Also, lots of learned disabled artists also have to create their art within an art group context. And lots of inclusive art studios, you know, they're very group orientated. And what this means is that artists sometimes struggle to develop their individual practice or their individual profile beyond their studio group. And finally, like another kind of core inequality that I've certainly witnessed is around access to arts education. So lots of artists that you might encounter um, practicing contemporary art have been to art school, typically within a university. And studying art in higher education, you know, it isn't just about getting that quali qualification in hand. You know, universities offer core places where artists experiment with their practice and they generate peer groups of artists. And these form kind of core networks that artists use for their careers. I still collaborate with people that I met on my art degree when I went to university. So at the moment, learning disabled artists do miss out on those kind of opportunities. Yeah, that's fascinating. I never really thought about that, but I, I do get it. What do you think is the biggest impediment, or, or can you not say that? Is it either the fact that indeed their individual work is not being recognized, which I can imagine would be a great barrier uh, to an artist's development, or, or is it the fact that they miss out on those opportunities that, that non-learning disabled artists almost naturally get when they're going through these programs? Yeah, I think definitely more recently, it's a mixture between how support and care packages intersect with being an artist and also learning disabled artists accessing those kind of established networks of artists. Like I said, art schools being one of them within universities and also artist-led spaces being another, which is one of the things we're looking at for my research. I'm really curious to find out how you got drawn into this area of research. What, what in your life, your background led you to, to research this particularly interesting area? It's a, a question I, I really get commonly asked as well. Um, you know, how did you end up doing this work? So and when I left school, I... I really wanted to work in the arts. I really wanted to be an artist. So I went and did a degree in photography and art. And then to kind of make ends meet while doing my degree and just after my degree, I needed kind of flexible work that I could do. And I ended up getting a job as a support worker for learning disabled people. And at that time, I should say, being an artist and doing support work, they felt worlds apart. They felt completely separate in my mind. Yeah. Um, and one day I was working in a day service, which is a place lots of learning disabled people go to spend their time uh, during the day. And one of the arts and crafts people that ran sessions didn't turn up. And the care manager came over and said, oh, Jade, don't you study art? Don't you have a degree in art? Can you just do something with the residents? They're all here. They're all gathered around, you know, in, in the room ready to do something. And of course, you know, panic, panic, panic. What earth should I do? And eventually I, I ran a session and I absolutely loved it. And it's that moment where those pieces kind of clicked into place for me. And I was like, ah, okay, this is what I think I want to do. That's a wonderful story. That's really great. And it just shows how serendipitous a lot of those choices are for, for everybody. That's, that's brilliant. So that was... A while ago. Yeah, so that was around 2006. And critically at that time, in 2001, 
there was a, a big white paper in the UK um, called Valuing People. And that was the first white paper from the UK government that really looked at thinking about support for learning disabled people in new ways. And a big, a big part of that was personalization. And that really looked at how do we personalize services for people and how do we make sure people are leading their own services too? Yeah, that's, that's clearly key, how people are leading their own services. And that's also part of your research, isn't it? So this may actually be a good point to tell me a bit about the research you're doing and, and what you're hoping to achieve with it. As you mentioned in the introduction, the project is called Irregular Art Schools, and which is funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council. So we began the research in February 2021, and the project essentially is thinking about what does professional development look like and feel like for learning disabled artists living in the Leeds City region? What do they want and what do they need in order to develop their creative practice? So for the project, we wanted to explore how the typical routes for artist development work or perhaps don't work for these artists. So looking at artist-led spaces, routes of publishing, higher education, but also thinking about how social care support intersects with all these sectors and supports as well. Crucially, the project actually came around through conversations I was having with a local inclusive art studio called Pyramid which is one of the oldest inclusive art studios in the UK, which I feel makes Leeds a particularly vibrant place for studying inclusive arts. I didn't know that about Leeds. That's actually really, really interesting. And, and why do you call it an irregular art school? Why irregular? Yeah, great question. So there's a really interesting book by uh, Professor Roger Sleet, who was actually appointed as a, a Diamond Jubilee Chair in Disability and Inclusion here at Leeds. And his book, called the irregular school which is kind of like a provocation where he questions whether continuing to think in terms of the regular school or the special school obstructs progress towards inclusive education and i guess i came across that book and i shared it with pyramid who i work with uh, for the research and we kind of like the idea of how we might make uh, the university of leeds and other cultural spaces in leeds irregular and, and how are you going to do that I'm really interested in figuring out what you're going to do with the University of Leeds to make it more irregular. I really like the concept. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. So the research will explore different approaches and contexts for professional development with four learning disabled and neurodivergent artists who are Ria, Liam, Alfie and Victor, along with Pyramid staff, Alice, another Alice, Pete and James. So the project is split into various strands and crucially, it's an action research project, which means that we're working together to think about problems by actually trying things out in real life and in real time and to think back for what we learn. So the first strand is we're actually collaborating with Assembly House, who are an artist-led gallery and studio space based in Leeds in the Armley area. And Assembly House are a really kind of important type of space in most kind of cities and towns in that they're an artist-led space. So they're a really important part of the arts ecology. I've been working with Pyramid and Assembly House since January. And essentially, we've been supporting artists from these quite different studios, quite contrasting studios, to work together to think about how studio environments might be more inclusive. And then the second strand of the project is going to be based in the School of Fine Art, History of Art and Cultural Studies from this September. I'm really excited that we're going to be welcoming those four artists 
to work alongside our students in our studios at Leeds. And we'll also be doing some workshops with our students to think about, you know, what does it mean to practice in an art school? And, you know, as we're going through curriculum redefined, I feel like it's a really kind of valuable opportunity to think through, you know, pedagogically, how do we teach art? How do we study art? And how can we do that to include a broader range of learners? And um, so I'm really excited about that. And I'm wondering what your take is on this kind of art production and the study of this type of art also possibly, probably, I don't know, being beneficial for non-learning disabled artists. Because I notice you mentioned curriculum redefined. I notice as an educator that often when we're doing things for learning disabled students or other students, those interventions are often quite beneficial also for students who don't have those particular issues. Is that your expectation, Jay, that when we put particular measures in place to remove barriers for learning disabled artists, that those interventions would also benefit artists who may not need them as much? Yeah. So interestingly, lots of the artists that I work with don't always read and write in the traditional sense, or even sometimes use like spoken language. So that, of course, raises some questions about what it means to study art, to even do assessments and participate in kind of education. And I think really interestingly, this is a great thing because I think it enables us to kind of unsettle and to re-address what are we actually teaching, what are we actually learning, and what are the ways that we can best assess that within a university context. So I think this will benefit a huge range of learners, not just necessarily the artists from Pyramid. So it tends to be that lots of subjects, not just art, is quite text-based and often involves lots of reading and writing. But pedagogically, that might not always be the best method, depending on what it is you're studying. And there's lots of movements across higher education, which are looking at things like the un-essay, where we're trying to introduce, you know, different ways of assessing work and also supporting students to define their own assessments too. And that's something that I think, in my experience, the kind of artists that I work with are extremely adept at. They don't navigate the world all the time through lots of text or lots of reading and are always having to come up with really new and different ways to express themselves. And I think that would benefit lots of people who are at university. And maybe even students in completely different subjects. I could totally imagine engineering students or design students or yeah, probably many others who could benefit from different ways of assessing. Have you already seen any outcomes of this collaboration yet? What's your timeline? When can we expect to, to be able to see or maybe even touch what's coming out of this? Yeah. So in August uh, this year, we're going to be having a kind of informal exhibition at Assembly House, which will share the first strand of the research and what we've learned from collaborating with Assembly House. And then from September, the artists from Pyramid will be working with us in the art school until February. And we're hoping to have some kind of open studio or maybe exhibition or event at the end of that period to, to share kind of what we've done and what we've learned. So that that's something I'm looking forward to as well. That's really brilliant. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm definitely going to come and take a look. Um, so another question I had is, is about funding and the support that is needed to make these things happen. 
And one of the issues that you've identified in your research and in your work is how art and the social care sectors connect to support learning disabled students. But I, I can also imagine that on occasion, these systems are too separate and it's actually not working. Where do you see barriers to funding or maybe other issues that could be in the way of making these initiatives a success? Yeah. So the ideal model for personalization is that a person's care is led by them and that does require quite a lot of time and investment. So that's increasingly difficult, I think, to do in the kind of current landscape that we're in. But I also think there's challenges in how being an artist is understood across different contexts, across art and social care. And this was kind of brilliantly described by one of the artists. As she said, art isn't just something that I do on a Tuesday morning. Being an artist is who I am. And I think here we can kind of see these quite different ideas of what it means to be an artist, uh, which has implications, of course, and how that practice might be supported. I can totally see that. That's a really important point. And as a, as a world changer, because that's what we call the people who've written these, these brilliant essays and you're one of them. And what, what could be the wider ramifications of this research? How could you see it go beyond what you're doing right now at the University of Lee? For me, I'd obviously, I'd love to see the higher education sector become more inclusive for learning disabled people. Of course, recognizing we already do, of course, have disabled staff and students. But there are, of course, other disabled people because of they have maybe more significant support needs aren't able at the moment to study uh, at university. So I would love to see that maybe a project like this can show that there are real benefits actually to really trying to challenge who is able to kind of study at HE. And although this would kind of be quite a significant investment in disability and maybe more broadly in support services, I think actually the outcomes of that would be those really exciting pedagogical questions, which, you know, we discussed. And I guess in terms of research, I would really like to see learning disabled researchers being much more prevalent. Often learning disabled people are seen as participants in research rather than as, you know, leaders of research with their own agendas. And that's something that I hope that this project was very much came about through the conversations and the urgencies that Pyramid had as an inclusive art studio. And they very much came to me with their challenges to collaborate with me as a researcher. So hopefully I'd like to see more of that happening as well. Yeah, that's so wonderful. What a great vision. And then can, can I ask you as, as the final question, where you think the whole area of inclusive arts may be heading? What is your, your grand vision for the future? In the 10 years that I've done inclusive arts, you know, when I first started, you know, there were lots of studios around supporting this type of work, but people didn't really know they existed and their artwork wasn't often exhibited in galleries or museums. And now that's certainly changed and learning disabled artists are winning major art prizes and are exhibiting at biennials and things like that. But where I would like to see things go now, I think, is I would love to see different leadership models in the art sector start to emerge, which are inspired by inclusive arts practice. So I would like to see learning disabled people being paid curators, gallery programmers, managers, directors. And this would again mean we would need to unsettle what we think leadership should look like. And I think that would mean generating different models, perhaps co-leadership models or introducing facilitatory roles. But, you know, in my experience, inclusion always necessitates radical transformation. Those are, I think, great finishing words for this uh, 
really interesting conversation. Thank you so much, Jade, and, and huge compliments on the work you're doing. And I'm really proud that you're part of the University of Leeds. And I'm, I'm sure you'll have many successes in the years to come. And I, I mean it, I want to come and visit and see what's happening. So thanks a lot. This was a really great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the University of Leeds. To find out more about the work of our early career researchers and to read essays written by World Changer researchers, please go to the World Changers page on the University website. Details can be found in the information that accompanies this podcast.